0: Hi everyone, Win Claybaugh here. One of the things I love most about Masters is the wide variety of topics that we cover, and the incredible guests who share their wisdom. On this podcast, TV fitness personality Shalene Johnson joined me to interview Dr. Daniel Amen, a psychiatrist researcher who has scanned over one hundred sixty thousand brains, and best-selling author who tells us how to improve our health, happiness and longevity by taking better care of our brains. I am a huge advocate of the work Dr. Amen does. I've had my own brain scanned twice by him. I've held the hands of several people that I've referred to him and to his clinics, and I take his supplements every day. Again, I'm a fan, and I know you will be too. You'll definitely want to share this one with your friends, and be sure to sign up for our mailing list, at www.masterspodcastclub.com to hear more upcoming podcasts. Now grab a pencil and get ready to take some notes because Dr. Eamon's brilliant tips can absolutely change your life. Hi, everybody. Wynn Claybaugh here. Welcome to this issue of Masters. I have to uh, uh, admit that I have probably lost more sleep over this one (laughs) and done more preparation, getting nervous for this incredible opportunity that I have because the man that we are interviewing today is somebody that I've been following for several years, uh, and I came across you because of a crisis, because uh, there was a need to seek out something alternative in the world of, of mental health and mental illness. And so that's how I came across Dr. Amen and your amazing clinic. And I'm also sitting here with a very dear friend, Shalene Johnson, who's going to help me <laughs> and probably carry the weight here today to interview <laughs> Dr. Amen. Um, so if I trip up a little bit, I'm just a little uh, starstruck, and you're oh, okay with that, right?
1: That's awesome. Bless you. Thank okay. you.
0: <laughs> So a, a little bit about Chalene and then and then about Dr. Eamon. Chalene is an entrepreneur, a business expert, TV fitness personality, lifestyle coach, motivational speaker, podcast author. You can't keep a job. I mean, how many I do you know. have?
2: It's, I need to slow down.
0: Jeez. This is amazing. A mother of two, relatable and genuine approach to health, fitness, family, and lifestyle, along with your amazing husband, Brett. You are the founders of Smart Life Movement. Huffington Post recognized Chalene as one of the top 50 female entrepreneurs to watch in 2017. I mean, it just goes on and on. That you sold over 10 million DVDs and currently holds the Guinness Book of World Records for most fitness videos. So, Mm. congratulations. thanks. And you're not a stranger to to Masters. We had the opportunity to interview you before, which was a, a huge, big hit
2: long time ago. That's when we met, really, the first it time was. in person. Yeah.
0: So thanks, Chalene, for agreeing to do this today.
2: Well, I love you, so I'm happy to be here. And, and, and there's a reason why you're here. Yes.
0: Because you have a story with, with Dr. Amen as well.
2: Yeah, sure do. Which, it's, it's interesting when you go through my bio, it's like, oh, well, well, isn't that just a lot of unfocused, you know, I mean, there's so many different things I've done, so there's ways you can benefit from the brain that you have, but yeah, it's really come full circle.
0: Let me tell you how I came across Dr. Eamon, again, doing my research, and TED Talk is always a a Mm go-to place for me, and and that's how I came across your TED Talk, which was several years ago, and I can't tell you how many people I've shared that with, and so when the opportunity came up to to meet you a couple of weeks ago, you hosted us here for a lunch at your office, which was amazing, and then I I asked Dr. Eamon if you would be willing to do this, and you immediately just said yes, which Mm. then just floored me. (laughs) You know, you always have that perception or that, well, people that are that famous or that busy or that significant are going to say no.
2: Yeah. But when you're so passionate about your message, I think that's why you just want to reach more people.
0: And this is an audience that I know is going to hugely benefit from the message that Dr. Amon delivers today. So just a little bit about Dr. Amon, well, a lot about Dr. Amon. He believes that brain health is central to all health and success – When your brain works right, he says, you work right. And when your brain is troubled, you are much more likely to have trouble in your life. His work is dedicated to helping people have better brains and better lives. Sharecare named him the web's number one most influential expert and advocate on mental health. And the Washington Post called him the most popular psychiatrist in America. Wow. Dr. Amen is a physician, double board certified psychiatrist, award-winning researcher, and 10-time New York Times best-selling author. You have a children's book out, which I want to talk about, right?
1: I do. Captain Snout and the Superpower Questions. And where
0: did you come up with that name, Captain Snout?
1: Well, it's about killing the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that steal your happiness. And so you don't want them to infest you, so you need a superhero anteater.
0: I love it. Well, with a six-year-old daughter, that's going to come in uh, very handy. Dr. Amen is the founder of Amen Clinics in Costa Mesa, Walnut Creek, Los Angeles, Bellevue, Washington, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Chicago, and New York. Amen Clinics has the world's largest database of functional brain scans related to behavior, totaling more than 140,000 scans on patients from 120 countries. I mean, this just, just goes on and on. I think our audience is going to love this because, you know, after all, this, the entertainment industry, the beauty industry, mm-hmm. and it's kind of all the same thing, that you've been in a couple of movies uh, after the last round, The Crash, and you were actually a, a consultant for Will Smith's movie called Concussion. So mm-hmm. you've been on Dr. Phil, The Doctors, Dr. Oz show. Uh, your work has been featured in Newsweek, Time, Huffington Post, ABC World News, 2020, the BBC, London, Telegraph, Parade Magazine, New York Times, New York Times Magazine, Washington Post. I mean, there's some pretty significant stuff here.
1: The one my daughter hates, the New York Times-style magazine. Listed mm-hmm. me as a fashion icon. You <laughs> <laughs> because That's on funny. my public television specials, I wear black. Yes, because it's just easy. Yeah, and she just rolled her eyes. She's like, "How can you be a fashion icon?"
2: I love
0: it. Don't daughters just roll their eyes anyway at their dads? <laughs> she so. certainly does. Yeah, I've already got that at six years old with oh, my yeah, daughter. So. Tr-
2: you are in trouble.
0: Thank you. I I'll, I'll take that on. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I want to start with with Shaleen. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there was a reason why, and, and I want to know, why did you think that you needed to have your brain scanned?
2: Hmm. Well, I did an interview with Dr. Amen because I had been joking for many years about the fact that I had adult ADD, which I didn't know was a real thing. And I had Dr. Amen on my podcast, interviewed him, and he was kind of going through a checklist of things that you really shouldn't just dismiss as being the natural process of aging, that these are real concerns with your brain and that you could improve your brain. And he said in the interview, why don't you come in and have your brain scan? Let's do a spec and see what you're dealing with. And when I got my results, it was a life-changing day. Yeah.
0: But for someone who is already, you're, you're successful, so it's not like you came here out of crises. Yeah, that's it's a good point. You weren't desperate.
2: I didn't realize I was, but... It was significant enough that I felt like all the things I was dealing with were just a natural, normal part of aging combined with the brain that I have. I thought, well, I'm not very intelligent. I outwork everyone else to get to where I'm at. I have special things I have to do so that I can concentrate. And those special things were becoming more and more extreme. And they were beginning to affect my personality. So I'm happy and upbeat and... I'm like always in a good mood, like no one bugs me. But I got to this point where my focus was uh, so easily disrupted that my husband breathing in the same room was like annoying. Like, how dare you breathe that loud when I was trying to finish a thought, you know? (laughs) So I started, we have a very big house, three stories, I think like 18 rooms. And I found a little teeny tiny closet beneath the stairs. It wasn't even a closet, it was like a storage space that I had soundproofed, and that's where I was spending most of my day. No light, no sound, no... So I couldn't hear music. I couldn't hear anything outside. If I was to get my work done, I had to isolate myself in that way. And I would just get so frustrated and annoyed with people and in such a bad mood if there was a disruption that it was the fact that it was changing my personality that I knew, well, I should at least figure out what's going on.
1: And that's classic for people who have ADD, that Mm. they can't focus, that things bother them, they get easily distracted, and then they get irritated. And the other important part of your story was you have a family history of Alzheimer's
2: Mm -hmm. disease.
1: And so if you take that combination, you should be concerned, Yeah. right? And even at 46, I think was the first time I Mm -hmm. saw you, You could see the ADD in her scan. It shows up as low blood flow in the front part of her brain. The study we do is called SPECT, S-P-E-C-T. It looks at blood flow and activity. But it also showed the part of your brain that dies early in Alzheimer's disease was seriously low in her brain, at which point all sorts of bells went off for us. Well, Mm -hmm. let's treat the ADD, but let's reverse this tendency you have, very few people know you can actually do that. And when do you think it's easier to do? When you're 46 or when you're 76? Mm. And people are thinking about putting you in a home because you can't remember how to get home. Right,
0: and didn't you say that by scanning the brain, there are certain uh, warning signs to Alzheimer's like 30 to 50 years before it could actually affect somebody?
1: Right. So I have one woman I diagnosed at 59 with Alzheimer's disease, and her brain looked terrible. Mm. Odds are we would have seen trouble when she was a teenager. Really? And because we don't scan the brain on a routine organ, think about it, we routinely screen a lot of organs. We routinely screen your heart, breasts. Um, liver. liver, Your teeth. We screen your teeth. Yes. Um, But the most important organ, we don't screen it. Mm -hmm. Even though things like Alzheimer's disease devastate 5 million families in the United States, and it's estimated to triple in the next 30 years, there's a lot of fear and a lot of anguish about it. There's not a lot of hope. Because people have been trying to intervene when people become symptomatic in their 60s or 70s. And I'm like, no, we should be intervening in their 40s, Uh, even before... And there's so many things to do, which is what I get excited
0: about. Mm-hmm. Maybe we've jumped ahead here. Let's go back because my introduction to you, I love TED Talks because I got the whole message in 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe we should kind of go back to that because that's how you educated me. None of this even was on my radar to know that the importance of scanning someone's brain and and what that means to society and to revolutionizing psychiatry. Mm -hmm. Now, you originally fell in love with psychiatry, and and there's a story that you tell about that.
1: Right. So I was an infantry medic when I was 18, and I loved medicine, but I didn't like sleeping in the mud or getting (laughs) shot at. So I got myself retrained as an x-ray technician, as our professors used to say, how do you know unless you look? And when I went to medical school someone I loved tried to kill herself Mm. horrified me I was going to be a pediatrician but I took her to see a wonderful psychiatrist and I came to realize if he helped her which he did it wouldn't just help her it would help her children even her grandchildren as they'd be shaped by someone who was happier and more stable so I fell hard in love with psychiatry because I realized it can change generations Mm, of people I mean the better you are the better mom you are,
0: Absolutely. right, which yeah.
1: then influences your son and influences your daughter and'll influence your grandbabies, but I fell in love with the only medical specialty that never looks at the organ it treats, and I remember when I was a medical student, it's well, why aren 't we looking? you know you look at the heart, if you 're a cardiologist, you look at the stomach, if you 're a gastroenterologist, obviously the brain is it, and they go, well there 's not enough science, the technology's not ready, but I was looking mm-hmm. and when I went to my first lecture on brain spec imaging it was in nineteen ninety one, given by the head of the hospital of the medical staff where I worked, and it just revolutionized my life. And so I've been doing it a long time and people say, Oh, you shouldn't do it, it's not standard of care. It's like, well standard of care sucks. Right. You know, the outcomes in psychiatry are no better than they were in the nineteen fifties. And I got into this business because I like it when people get better. makes me happy. Mm-hmm. That's what makes me happy. And I didn't have all the tools I needed.
2: I have to say that when I saw the same TED Talk, I had that same reaction, and I sent it to a million people, and everyone has the same response. Like, uh, uh, why, why are we looking at this organ? Right. Can you explain to us the difference between a SPECT and an MRI?
1: So there are a number of ways to look at the brain. You can look at the structure of the brain, which is what an MRI will give you, or a CT scan. Mm -hmm. Or you can look at the function. How does the brain work? There's something called fMRI. It's technically hard to do. There's something called PET scans Mm -hmm. uh, that look at glucose metabolism. There are quantitative EEGs that look at the electrical activity in the brain. But what I thought was the most elegant, the most helpful, and the least expensive of the group was SPECT. Mm-hmm. It stands for Single Photon Emission Computed Tomography. It's a nuclear medicine study that looks at blood flow and activity. And it basically tells you three things. Good activity, too little, or too much. Mm-hmm. And then my job becomes we'll have to balance it. So for example, people have OCD. Or post-traumatic stress disorder have too much activity in the brain where people have had traumatic brain injury or ADD or Alzheimer's disease have too little activity. Mm -hmm. There are two
0: stories that you tell that I think are going to be valuable for our listeners because I think we all learn from stories. Mm -hmm. The best teachers are storytellers and there's the one story of a a three-year-old little girl who fell down a flight of stairs and then there's also the story of the the nine-year-old boy who was your nephew. If you could share those stories with us.
1: So this girl when she's three falls down a flight of stairs and she is diagnosed with something called mild traumatic brain injury. She was unconscious but only for about 30 minutes. But then she became angry and unruly and actually had to go to residential treatment. And I met her after she failed her third residential treatment program, at what age? Fifteen. Okay. And so, so she probably even
2: thinking about the six fall. Six psychiatrists.
1: She's seen six psychiatrists. Had been on multiple medications, and I look at her brain. The left half is clearly damaged, and I'm like, Has anybody ever scanned her? No. When did she have a brain injury? I don't remember. I don't think she had one. And one of the big lessons, you know, it's in the top ten lessons we've learned from 140,000 scans, is mild traumatic brain injury ruins people's lives, hmm. and they often won't tell you about them. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I saw this, it was 1991, guy's left side of his brain is bashed in. And I'm like, so when did you have a brain injury? He so said never did. And then I went, are you sure? Have you ever fallen out of a tree, off a fence, dove into a shallow pool? Did you play sports? Have you been in a car accident? And as I went to like the seventh example, he said I was seven years old and I fell out of a second story window. Do you think that counts? Wow. (laughs) I'm like, I have so many stories Mm -hmm. like that. And so as I start doing this with mom, she's like, Oh my God. When she was three, she fell down a flight of stairs and was unconscious. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Your brain is soft, about the consistency of soft butter, tofu, custard, somewhere between egg whites and jello. And your skull is really hard. And if you look inside a skull, it has multiple sharp bony ridges. We need to so protect the brain. But if we would have rehabilitated her brain, somebody would have done a spec scan on her. We go, oh, big damage. Let's rehabilitate her hyperbaric oxygen, supplements, make sure her diet's right. There are other things we do too. We could have decreased the symptoms she had. And you know, when I first started doing scans, um, I got no end of grief Hmm. from my colleagues. Um, You should do it. I hear you still get grief though. I still get grief. Um, a lot less okay. since Discover Magazine listed our research as one of the top 100 stories in science. That, that kind of quiets you, people a little yeah. bit, huh? So that, that was really helpful. But when you do something that's different than your colleagues, they shun you. And so I learned what hell was. So theologically, some people talk about hell being separation from God— So not a burning lake, but separation from God or separation from your tribe. And if you get separated from your tribe, I mean, your life's at stake. And so in 1993, two years after I was scanning people, I hadn't made five cents on it. I didn't own the imaging equipment. I was sending people to other places. I just loved it. But... I started hearing words like, oh, he's a charlatan. Oh, he's a quack. He's doing something outside the standard of care where they can take your medical license. In fact, I got investigated by the medical board for a year. And I was very anxious and upset because I knew what I was doing was right. I mean, what's really the argument against more information? (laughs) But I was upset about it. I was anxious. I was having trouble sleeping. I'm like, why are you in this? And then everything changed, April 1995. I got a call at 10.30 at night from my sister-in-law, Sherry, who told me my 9-year-old nephew, Andrew, who's also my godson. So he and I had this very special relationship that he attacked a little girl on the baseball field that day mm. for no particular reason Out of the blue. And I hear that. So here I've already scanned hundreds of violent teenagers. And I'm horrified. And I'm like, well, what else is going on with him? And she said, Danny, he's different. He's mean. He doesn't smile anymore. And I went into his room today and found two pictures that he had drawn. One of them, he was hanging from a tree. Mm. The other picture, he was shooting other children. In retrospect, he's Columbine or Sandy Hook or Parkland, Florida, waiting to happen. And so I said, I want to see him the next day. And he came. They lived eight hours from where I was. And and I look at him. And, you know, how to explain it? He's just someone I love. Mm -hmm. And I'm horrified for him. And I said, buddy, what's going on? And he said, Uncle Danny, I don't know. I'm mad all the time. Hmm. And I said, is anybody hurting you? He said, no. He said, is anybody teasing you? He said, no. He said, is anybody touching you in places they shouldn't be touching you? He said, no. He said, I don't know. And my first thought was I had to scan it, Hmm. right? I mean, 9-year-olds don't attack people. My next thought is you want to scan everybody (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> And, you know, with the criticism in my head, I start doing this. You know, maybe it's a psychological problem. He's the second son in a Lebanese family. I'm the second son in a Lebanese family. And it gives you all sorts of issues. <laughs> um, and then finally, the left side of my brain said, stop it. Scan him. If it's normal, then you can play the psychology game with him. And I held his hand while he held his teddy bear against me. Mm-hmm. And when it came up on the computer screen, my colleague, my mentor, I looked at him and I said, what's that? He was missing his left temporal lobe. So that's a significant part of your brain. He didn't have one. And it turned out he had a cyst the size of a golf ball. Occupying that part of his brain, which had shoved his temporal lobe up into his brain. Wow. And I called his pediatrician. So I was anxious for him, but I was also glad really? we had a reason why he yeah. was, because by then I'd already correlated left temporal lobe problems with aggression. We've seen 53 cysts since then. And I called his pediatrician and I said, You find someone to take this out. Mm-mm. And his pediatrician called me back a week later and said he talked to three neurologists. And all the neurologists said they didn't think the cyst was relevant, um, that it wasn't related to his behavior. And they wouldn't recommend draining it until he had real symptoms. So that's the phrase that came back to me. And poor Dr. Hall, because he could probably still remember me screaming at him, I have a homicidal, suicidal child. What do you think are real symptoms? Because many years ago, neurology and psychiatry got divorced. Mm. And even though psychiatry, in many ways, was started by a neurologist, Sigmund Freud, you know, psychiatrists don't think about the brain as much as they should. No. And, but I wasn't going to tolerate that, you know, real symptoms. Um, no. So I called. UCLA, and I talked to the pediatric neurosurgeon. His name is Jorge Luzariff, and you might know him. He's the neurosurgeon that separated the Guatemalan twins who were connected oh, at yeah. the head. For sure. Well, he was famous to me before then, as when I told him about Andrew, he said, "Whenever these cysts are symptomatic, we drain them." He's obviously symptomatic, and after surgery, I got two calls. One from his mother, Sherry, who said the surgery went really well. And when Andrew woke up, he smiled at me. She said, Danny, he hadn't smiled in a year. Mm. So. But the next call was from Dr. Lazareff, who said, oh, my God, Dr. Amon, the cyst had, was so aggressive. They didn't see how aggressive it was on the MRI. The cyst was so aggressive that it actually thinned the bone over his left temporal lobe so his temporal bone was now eggshell thin and he said if he would have been hit in the head with a basketball he would have died instantly wow either way he'd have been dead in six months that was the moment Mm. where i didn't care if you criticized me Mm. that if you didn't look at the brains of your complex patients shame on you it's not science it's not medicine it's stupidity and the war began in earnest when I lost my anxiety. And so, what would have happened, to Andrew? So, I mean, it would have been dead in six months. This is somebody I love. Um, How so, old is Daniel so today? Andrew is um, so twenty-three and nine. What is that? Thirty-two, <laughs> and he's got a job, he owns his own home taxes and a couple of months ago I went to his wedding
2: I'm just so Amazing. proud of him you mentioned many of the school shootings and in this most recent one they interviewed people who knew him and they showed clips of him and, and talked about how he struggled so much with ADD how tempting is it for you to intervene and I mean like it would be so interesting and telling to have a scan of his brain, to have a brain spec for him. I mean, do we need... Well, I'm to so tap-
1: happy he didn't kill himself, because most mm-hmm. of these either kill themselves or get killed. Well, we have scanned 100 murderers mm. and almost 1,000 convicted felons over the years, and their brains are not normal. Mm. They're not healthy. So Kip Kinkle, you might remember yes. that name, 1998, mm-hmm. um, He brings weapons to school in Springfield, Oregon, Thurston High School. And he gets arrested, and his mom and dad pick him up that night. And sometime between 6 o'clock that night and 8 o'clock the next morning, he murdered them. And then he went to his high school and shot 25 people. Mm -hmm. And based on my work, they scanned him at Oregon Health Sciences University, and then they sent me the scans as Mm. part of the trial. His brain is so bad. It's Mm. so damaged. It's, It's horrifying. Easy to judge. Easy to say people are bad. Harder to go, why? Why did that happen? And one of the things the images did for me is they really ramped up my empathy for my patients and for people who struggle. And they do that for the person. Another reason I fell in love with imaging. So for the person, it decreases stigma. Most psychiatrists haven't decreased stigma one bit in this country. And that's why when you say, well, you should go see a psychiatrist, like, I'm not crazy. I'm not going to go do that. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's the immediate thing. Nobody wants to see a psychiatrist. When I um, decide to be a psychiatrist... In 1980, I told my dad I wanted to be a psychiatrist. He asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor, <laughs> wow. why I wanted to be a nut doctor and hang a out doctor? with nuts all day oh long. Gosh. And now my dad's 89, and he's like my best friend. I look at him some days. I'm like, who says that to their child? Right. right? I, that is not <laughs> yeah, a loving your brain. thing. But I get what he was saying, that most psychiatrists don't act like real doctors Mm -hmm. and because of that there's this suspicion oh you're bipolar Well, how do you know that? You haven't looked you just went through this checklist of symptoms Mm -hmm. so no one wants to be labeled as defective or abnormal but everybody wants a better brain what if mental health was really brain health? So I think we have a marketing problem we have a messaging problem because when you came you didn't feel shame. You felt some anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't what I want. And then, this is why I love working with you, and and high-performance people, they're like, okay, coach, tell me what to do, as opposed to, no, I won't do this, and I won't do that, and no, that's too hard. You're like, it's my brain. I I will do it. So a decreased stigma, increased compliance, and increased compassion Mm -hmm. from their families. Mm -hmm. And it happens, like, immediately. I love that part.
0: I'm glad that you're talking about the the shame and the stigma attached to uh, mental illness. What do they say? One in four people are affected by some sort of mental illness. And people listening to this thinking, well, I'm not thinking about walking into a school with a bunch of guns. But people listening to this are struggling with uh, being able to, uh, like Shilling, you say, stay focused, Mm -hmm. depression, anxiety.
1: So it's actually 51% of us at some point in our life will have a mental health issue. Wow. According to the U.S. government, anxiety disorders are the most common, followed by depression, followed by ADD or ADHD, and then addictions. Mm -hmm. It's more normal to have a problem Mm -hmm. than not to have a problem. I tell my patients normal is a setting on a dryer, or it's a city (laughs) in Illinois. I actually got to do a lecture in Normal, Illinois, which was super fun. That's but awesome. I, Actually,
0: I have a school in Normal, Illinois. <laughs> I really great. do, a Paul Mitchell school. Did you ever watch uh, Designing Women?
2: Yes, of course.
0: Well, there was that line, she was like, you know, in the South, we don't ask if there's crazy people in your family. We ask which side of the family are they on?
1: <laughs> Both. <laughs> right, so that's normal. And when you normalize it for people, it decreases the shame. Mm -hmm. about getting help it's the smart person Mm. who gets help i mean if your business is falling apart you don't deny that your business is falling apart otherwise you'll go bankrupt if your marriage is falling apart you don't deny that otherwise you end up divorced if your moods and emotions are falling apart get help right but 23 percent of women between the ages of twenty and sixty you're on antidepressant medication. Wow. Isn't that insane? Dr. Oz uh, and Dr. Drew Pinsky and I, we did a whole Oz show on that. Yeah. And there's so many other things you can do besides taking medicine. And I'm a huge fan of Ooh, medicine. Can fix it. It's like let's do non toxic things first.
0: Hmm. I want to get into some of the solutions here, because people don't have to scan their brain to start choosing to have a routine, a lifestyle that is going to have the positive effects, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember you said, or I read something that you're talking about, how depression, I mean, we, we will scan teeth, but we don't scan the brain. And there's no shame in scanning your teeth. There's no shame in going to the dentist and say, I have a toothache, can you scan it and see what's going on? and yet I have anxiety, I have OCD, I have depression, I have this, and there's this shame and stigma attached to that. But you were saying that depression can have two different types of brains or the diagnosis or the it looks completely different, but psychiatry is treating it the exact same way.
1: Right. I actually wrote a book called Healing, Anxiety, and Depression and talk about seven different types. And Prozac and medicines like Prozac work for one of the seven types. So it's basically 17%. Uh, that And that's why it's so controversial. It's a freaking miracle for the right person, and it's a nightmare for the wrong person. Mm. 1991, when I first started scanning people, there was uh, a study from Harvard published on 30 patients put on Prozac who became violent on it. And Eli Lilly went, no, 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 that's not it. And I was seeing that in my practice, that some people would get better and other people would get worse. And then we started to sort of look at what's the pattern on who's going to get better and who's going to get worse. So if your brain is busy and you're worried and you can't let go of bad thoughts, they tend to circle in your head, Um, you tend to be a little obsessional or compulsive, Prozac's awesome. But if you're depression, you have really a low-energy depression, you're sad and you can't think, what Prozac and medicines like it will do will calm down an already low-activity brain and disinhibit you. Hmm. So we all have bad thoughts. I mean, all of us have bad thoughts. Thoughts no one should ever hear. But then if you drop the function in your frontal lobes, those thoughts get out. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, I should shoot my mother. And then you do it rather than go, oh, God will be really mad at me if I do that. Or I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be an orange. I don't look good in orange. I'm going to have to eat (laughs) prison food. You know, (laughs) I mean, you're not – what your frontal lobes do is they – Think about the consequences of your behavior and whether or not those consequences are good for you. When your frontal lobes are low, you often don't go through that process. You just say or do what comes to mind.
2: We're offering medication to solve a problem in the brain based on asking questions, not by looking at the organ. So you mentioned depression and anxiety. It seems like an incredible increase, not just children and adults, too, who are now being prescribed ADHD medication, again, without ever seeing the brain. Is the same thing through Is exactly there? It's
1: exactly the same thing. I have a book, actually one of my best-selling books, Healing ADD, where almost immediately from scanning ADD brains, I realize it's not one thing. Mm-hmm. And if they have low activity in their frontal lobes, they're going to respond to a stimulant 80% of the time. If, however, when they concentrate, they activate their brain 80% of the time, mm-hmm it will make them worse. Worse. Have one little boy. So
2: some of the medication doctors are prescribing are actually making the problem worse and then they increase the dosages.
1: And then they increase the dosages because they go, well, maybe you're just not on enough. Yeah. And it, <laughs> Is that it's, crazy? It, of course it's crazy. Think about this. When people How criticize... How do you temper tantrum? Well, I do. <laughs> when people criticize my work, I'm like, oh, well, let's see. In 2018... of psychiatrists make diagnoses exactly like they did in 1840 Uh. when Lincoln was depressed. So Lincoln had, I was just in uh, Illinois giving a lecture, so the land of Lincoln. Um, Many people know he suffered from serious bouts of depression. And in the winter of 1840, he went to his doctor Anson Henry. He'd been suicidal. And oh, by the way, people don't know this. When Lincoln was 10 years old, he was kicked in the head by a horse and Mm, was mm -hmm. unconscious all night long. Um, He went to see Dr. Henry. And how did Dr. Henry diagnose Lincoln with melancholia? He talked to him. Mm -hmm. He looked at him. He looked for symptom clusters, diagnosed him with melancholia, and then treated him. Isn't that exactly what happens in most psychiatrists' office today? And what other medical specialists act like that? None of them. All of them want to get a look at the physiology, the structure of the organ they treat. And so it's like, I'm the crazy one?
0: I don't think so. Hmm. How does that not make you even more angry? I mean, with my limited knowledge of what you're sharing right now and my limited study over the last several years about it, It is. You know, I used to be
1: really angry about it. And then I'm like, it's a war. Just deal Mm. with it Mm -hmm. and be a good warrior. Mm. And so one of the reasons I got super healthy, I mean, I think about my health every minute of the day, (laughs) is I want to outlive these people. I want to see this. (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) That's the good revenge. Uh, You have a course called uh, Brain Thrive by 25, which... I want to get into, but in that course, you you say that the brain is not even fully developed until the age of 25.
1: In girls, it's more like 27 in boys. I don't know why we're always behind. It's sort of irritating. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, and we know this. I'm getting ready to publish a study on 70,000 scans. It's going to be the world's largest imaging study, and it's going to be how the brain ages. Mm -hmm. So activity in the brain peaks 7, 8, 9. You can just see it beautifully. And then it begins to calm down because there's processes going on in the brain. One's called myelination, where nerve cells become wrapped with a white fatty substance called myelin, so then they're more efficient. And pruning, if you don't use certain areas of the brain, you lose them, right? Use it or lose it. And so these processes happen and your brain begins to settle into your adult brain around your mid-20s. But yet we allow teenagers to hit soccer balls with their head, to eat terrible food, to not sleep, to get addicted to video games and their digital gadgets. And we can do so much better. Mm -hmm. So think of it this way. So when I was in medical school, we learned genetics was sort of static. You're born with your genes and your tendencies and there wasn't much you could do about it. It's complete nonsense. Um, This whole field of genetics has grown up called epigenetics, which means your habits turn on or off certain genes that make illness more or less likely in your babies and grandbabies. So my daughter Caitlin is pregnant with my fifth grandchild. Haven is coming June eleventh and or thereabouts. <laughs> And what most people don't know is little girls, so when you were born, or your daughter was born, you were born with all of the eggs in your ovaries that you would ever have. Mm. And so your habits and Caitlin's habits are turning on or off certain genes in Haven's ovaries, making illness more or less likely in Haven, but also in Haven's babies. Mm-hmm. This, this is that so is important that right. we just need to be a heck of a lot more serious about our health than we are in this country. The we are I think not we have to define serious. health
2: differently. And coming from someone who's, you know, known as being a health and fitness expert, even for myself, I defined health until I started this journey here with you as um, exercising nearly every day and eating clean. That was health. I'm a very, like if you ask me to fill out a chart, I'm a very healthy individual. And it wasn't until I started down this path to heal my brain that I realized I skipped all the other things because I thought exercising every day and eating clean canceled out anything else. And it was a little bit Um, Woo-woo, you know, like, do I meditation, really? Who's got time for that? So so
0: what's the list that you skipped? Meditation? What else did Um, you skip?
2: Well, first of all, I had to redefine clean eating. I believed clean eating meant low calorie. You know, don't do desserts, don't do fried foods, but diet food's great because it's low in calorie. So I had to redefine that.
1: Um, So Shailene and I work on this mnemonic that I have in my book, In Memory Rescue, mm -hmm. Bright Minds. So if you wanna keep your brain healthy or rescue it if it's headed for trouble, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that are stealing your mind. Mm -hmm. And so diet and exercise, critically important, Mm -hmm. but there's so much more to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, just for example, one of the eyes in Bright Minds is immunity and infections. Mm -hmm. If you look at the map of the United States and you see the highest incidence of schizophrenia, which is a severe psychiatric disorder where people lose touch with reality, and you overlay the map of the highest incidence of Lyme disease and infectious disease, they're identical. Mm. It's like, oh, my goodness. I have this great story. This mother prays for me every day. Every morning I get a text uh, from Debbie, and she'll go, how can I pray for you Mm -hmm. today? Because when her daughter was 16, they went on vacation to Yosemite, and they were... Surrounded by six deer at their cabin, and they thought it was a magical moment. But 10 days later, Adriana's hallucinating, mm-hmm. aggressive, um, out of control. They hospitalize her at Kaiser. They put her on an antipsychotic. That one didn't work. The next one didn't work. The third one didn't work. She heard about our work. I think she saw me on TV. And she brought her to the clinic, and her brain scan wasn't right. And we went, She looks like she has an infection.
2: Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she showed
1: up positive for Lyme titers. So she had a Lyme infection from deer ticks. Very Mm. common. And neuro Lyme, or Lyme that affects your brain, very common. Very few people know about it. On an antibiotic, she got her life back. Mm. And two years ago, she graduated from Pepperdine. She spent her last year overseas. She's beautiful. If you don't look, you don't know. I mean, and it's like, how do you know unless you look? I think I've said that.
0: Shailene, have you ever known a a doctor who gets emotional when he's talking (laughs) Mm -hmm. about his his patients
1: and the work that he does?
2: It makes it a powerful, you just know that you're, it's more than just a person, you're treating their life, it impacts everybody. Well,
1: and her uncle, so Adriana's uncle was in Napa State Hospital, it's a state psychiatric hospital for 25 years oh my because he had a psychotic disorder. And mom tried to get him tested for Lyme. They wouldn't do it. They're just doing the standard stuff. When she finally got the court to get him out of there, he tested positive for wow. Lyme. And he's at being able to stay out of the hospital. The impact to our society, if what I say is right, and I'm 100% convinced it is, <laughs> the impact on our society I mean, it could cause a revolution in health that we desperately need because 75% of our health care dollars are spent on chronic, preventable illnesses. And if we don't make better choices, which is a brain function, then we're never going to get to our potential.
0: You said that 75% of mental health issues occur within the brain of people under the age of 25, and that suicide is the third largest...
1: Cause of Death. Cause of it's death? now second. Second. Yeah, bummer. For teenagers. For teenagers, yeah. Wow. And our course, so Brain Thrive by 25, I developed it with uh, my partner 12 years ago. And it's actually my son in law who's got a doctorate in education from USC. And my daughter, my third child, was in ninth grade. And she wants to go to the Fashion Institute, uh, which she did and graduated from. And she's like, Dad, I'm having trouble with factoring. And then quadratic equations. I'm like, when's the last time I did a quadratic equation? I'm a doctor and a researcher. I couldn't think of it. I'm like, why don't they teach kids practical things? Like how to take care of their brain. And so we created Brain Thrive by 25. And it's around the world. And we're so excited. And we had an outside group study it in 16 schools. Decreases drug, alcohol, and tobacco use decreases depression and improves self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Take care of your brain. That's the first thing you want to do if you want to feel better.
0: I've had a small group within my organization go through the course, and which is another reason why I was up late last night, mm-hmm. was because they were all sending me. I said, I'm with Dr. Eamon and Shaleen yeah. tomorrow. Send me what, what you learned. Send me the mm-hmm. results. And it mm-hmm. was just, huh. and well, think- I'm emotional just thinking about what they shared with me. It was incredible. I can't wait to... Well, I so have 16,000 students in my organization. I can't wait to spread this through them.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, mm-hmm. we love that because anyone that's around things that potentially toxic, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you just want to be super careful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they won't do it. Like mm-hmm. firefighters' brains. Every firefighter's brains I've ever seen, they has some toxicity mm-hmm. to it right. because of the carbon monoxide and... Not to mention the emotional trauma. It doesn't mean we're not going to have firefighters. Of course we are. But it means we're going to teach them to take care of their brains. And so ventilation becomes really important and being serious. There's this great app. I probably told you about it. Think Dirty. Think
2: Dirty. Yeah. I love this app. Thinking. What is it? It's think called dirty. Think
1: Dirty. do you think win. <laughs> okay. It's, it's not what you think, but it allows you to scan your personal products so that it'll tell you, actually, on a scale of one to ten, how quickly is that product hurting you? Wow. And so when I scanned my own bathroom, it was terrible. Yeah, I pretty much um, have to throw everything out. Wow. And that you just want to know mm-hmm. things like phthalates and parabens disrupt hormones, and that's why we have thyroid issues, and that's mm-hmm. why we have testosterone issues. Mm-hmm. And so the N in bright minds is neurohormone deficiencies, and you should check your hormones on a regular basis. And decrease the toxins. The T in Bright Minds is toxins. Such an important issue.
0: So, Chalene, you had a before and after on your brain. And what was the span of time between the before exactly and Exactly
2: two years. Uh, okay. I was supposed to have a one-year follow-up. Um, but I intentionally kept putting it off because I didn't feel that much different. So I was afraid to come in and find out that the changes I'd made to my habits hadn't made that big of a difference. And that I knew that if I didn't see significant changes, I would go back. Because I didn't like forcing myself to sleep. I like staying up late. I like waking up early. I like being a type A. I like go, 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 go. I didn't like meditation at first. I Every time I took supplements, I'm like, ah, are these things really working? So I was a very reluctant to come in and do a follow-up scan for fear that I wouldn't see a significant enough improvement to continue with these healthy habits. So... I put it off and um, I met with the staff here and said, okay, well, what else can and should I be doing? And I'm going to schedule it a year from now. And what I get is what I get. And so we kind of went over everything that I was doing and maybe some little things I hadn't considered. And so I went like balls to the wall, like I'm going to do this. If I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get an improvement if I'm going to make these changes. And so I added a few things I hadn't yet done. So I added hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatment that I hadn't done. But I think the most significant change that I made was twofold. Number one, understanding how my body works so that I really could better evaluate what it meant to eat healthy. I didn't truly know what it meant to eat healthy. I didn't know the impact that, you know, Foods that were high in, in sugar or foods that converted to sugar, even though they were considered healthy, what an impact that had on me. I didn't know the impact of my gut lining, uh, having leaky gut. I didn't know. I just knew I needed to make these changes. So I immediately changed my sleep. I immediately changed my um, nutrition. I immediately changed um, and added meditation. The second year, I added things that, like taking my supplements every day instead of like once a week and feeling guilty about it. Like I started taking them every day, religiously, and I created a system so that it was a habit. So I didn't have to force myself or discipline myself. It was a habit. And, you know, so I would have triggers that triggered this to just happen naturally. And I started creating habits that would help me to drink water. So I wasn't drinking enough water at all. I didn't like water. So how do I create a habit so I don't have to discipline myself to do these things? And then just adding those few little things and being diligent about it, I came in and scanned at the two year mark and um, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty exciting. What Gives was the difference
0: what was the difference in her brain?
1: Stunning. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was normal. It's full, even, symmetrical. You know, I put her scan up and I'm like, this is a normal scan from someone who has headed to Alzheimer's disease. Wow. Now it doesn't mean she can go back to the bad habits, right? You have a vulnerable <laughs> brain Mm -hmm. but if you do the right things you can keep it very healthy Mm -hmm. for very long yeah and that isn't that what we all really want people go oh i don't want to deprive myself of this or that it's like that's the wrong mindset by doing the wrong things you're going to deprive yourself of joy ironically
2: my husband played football so he played uh in college he was quarterback at ucla and michigan state spent some time in the cfl nfl and when we got our scans back, if you were just looking at our so scans... So Brett went
0: in as well? Yes. Okay.
2: If you were looking at our scans, you would assume I was a football player. Because there's really? big, giant holes you know, from concussions. So I, I think that you forget some of the damage you've done to your brain. Like So for me, it was riding motorcycles, uh, water skiing, probably a car accident... I had a TV drop on my head once. Like, so there's, it's who knows which. And I remember in one
1: of our talks, I I like to go through our bright minds risk factors and go, so what are you doing for this and that and this and that? And the age is head trauma. And I'm like, so what are you doing now to protect your head? And Mm -hmm. she said, well, I used to do high risk things Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'm much more thoughtful about doing that. And that is an act of love. See, people get it backwards. Oh, I don't want to deprive myself. Oh, how can you have any fun? It's like, well, who has more fun? Mm-hmm. The person with the good brain or the person with the bad brain? Right. And, I know.
2: think the one piece that was most um, motivating for me is, you know, people you'll often hear, and I say this to people when I'm trying to help them get healthy, is you, you need to do it for you. But sometimes that's not very motivating. Like, because you'll sacrifice for yourself. Right? But... So when I saw that scan and, and knew what that meant in terms of how my children would have to care for me, it wasn't about me anymore. It wasn't about mm-hmm. me skipping sleep to get ahead. It was about my children became my why. Like, I don't want them to have to care for me. And I the one thing that was upsetting, but also encouraging because then I knew, was when you looked at my scan, you said that the... The surface area looked like someone who had either done a lot of radiation or chronic drug use or chronic sleep deprivation.
0: Wait a minute, all oh, those gig is three? Up. <laughs> wait, those three were in the same category? Chronic well, sleep just, deprivation and oh, chronic was, drug
1: use? Yeah, unfortunately. That wow. uh, they're really bad for you. And well, I knew when about sleep, the drugs,
0: but the chronic sleep could fall into the same category as when that. When
1: you sleep, your brain cleans and washes wow. itself. And so if you're not sleeping, trash builds up, and it'll begin to take on a toxic look in your brain. Talk to us about social media.
2: <laughs>
1: it's addictive. It's developed to be addictive. There's actually a book, and I like the book. It's called Hooked. It's how you can make addictive products, and it comes from the Silicon mm, Valley. Yeah. and the problem is, the more time you spend on it, the more depressed you get. Plus, Microsoft did a study. It's two thousand. So the
0: more time you spend, the more depressed you get. The more,
1: and the more isolated you get, because you're interacting with a device rather than another person. And loneliness is a major risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. Hmm. Loneliness is also associated with inflammation, and that's associated with depression and dementia. And and so better to turn it off. And, I mean, you have to use it a little bit because that's the society we're in. But less is better. So Microsoft did a study, and in 2015, they said the human attention span was now 8 seconds oh my god a Mm -hmm. goldfish is nine (laughs) seconds great this is evolution going the wrong wrong way shorter and shorter shorter and shorter which is why on social media you have to be more crazy Mm -hmm. more out there in order to get attention and you see that (laughs) i have
2: to say this we're running a an ad campaign a social media ad campaign and I was just talking to Snapchat. It's on Snapchat, and they were like, "You've got great statistics. The average viewer is watching your video up to seven seconds."
0: And you're thinking, "I'm like, wow, wow that's that, all I that's captured like, was
2: that's amazing. You can keep people's attention for seven seconds. That's shocking. Jeez. That's where we're at."
0: When I was reading through your material and the course and everything, I tried to create, and I don't know how accurate I was, the to-do list and the avoid list. Mm. So, can I just ask you about some of these things? Oh, you bet. Okay, so because again you don't have to have your brain scanned to understand what's going on to no, then implement no, this information a implement free this assessment stuff
1: people can take you know a long time ago i realized not everybody's getting a scan so based on over 100,000 scans we developed what we call our brain health assessment okay so we go to brainhealthassessment.com you'll know which of the 16 brain types you have cuz not everybody's the same and You'll also get a graph on your health habits, on your brain health habits.
0: Okay, so for the to-do list, because you're talking about keeping the brain active, keeping the brain, so goal setting was a big part of that.
1: Right, it activates your frontal lobes. But then once you make goals, you have to look at them on a regular <laughs> to, basis. So okay. we have an exercise for people called the One Page Miracle. On one piece of paper or computer form we have on our um, website, brainfitlife. Life, it goes, what do you want? in your relationships your work your money and your physical emotional and spiritual health what do you want so for example i want a kind caring loving supportive passionate relationship with my wife but i don't always feel like that i always want it but i don't always feel like that Mm -hmm. so when i'm feeling like oh i should say something rude to her I'm like, is that going to get you what you want? Mm -hmm. And so knowing what you want helps to direct your behavior. It also strengthens the front part of your brain.
0: Well, some of this stuff on the to do list is obvious you know, diet and
1: exercise. It's not the diet most people think about. The diet that most people think about, low calorie, low fat, I'm like, no, they're not good for your brain. Tana, my wife, has six cookbooks, and they're all gluten-free, dairy-free, corn, soy-free, sugar-free. And you go, oh, well, that must taste terrible. It tastes awesome. Yeah. You just, you know, guy, I'd say God gave you a big brain for a reason, and there are thousands of things you can choose to eat that you love that love you back. Got it. So low fat is bad for the brain because 60% of the solid weight of your brain is fat. And so if they call you a fathead, say thank you. Um, (laughs) So healthy fat with lots of colorful vegetables. Mm -hmm. So
0: how much then have you had to change or how much have you chosen to change your message? Because here you are, millions of people follow you. Have you changed the message? I I
2: literally have had to step away from my industry and experienced some of probably what you've experienced where you, there's a little bit of a backlash because you're stepping away from the standard of care and just sharing what I've learned about the it's not about everyone following the same diet it's understanding how your body works so that you can make informed decisions and even this garbage about like you've got to read labels bs labels are intended to convince you they're eating something healthy so when we're placing as parents our trust in marketing that has an ulterior motive, you've, you've already lost control of the health of your child. Example, yesterday I was at a very healthy market, the kind like my dad would say, you California hippies shop at, and I picked up a bottle, a glass bottle of water, and it was lemon, ginger, cayenne, pepper, water. And it says all organic, all natural, all healthy. I flip it over, it has 28 grams of sugar. For half the bottle. It's 15 ounces. So you're going to consume basically 60 ounces of sugar. And what is being marketed to you is all organic, all natural, uh, improves digestion. And you think as a parent, well, should I give my child the soda, the Slurpee, or this healthy, all natural water? Well, you, but you, read you don't the label. know. See, see I yeah. would
1: push back on that a well, little bit. Well, I guess to that say that
2: we can't trust to, the marketing to, of it. You mm-hmm.
1: cannot trust it when it says healthy. That often means early death. <laughs> but you need to really understand <laughs> the sugars, and you need to understand, well, what are those ingredients? And if your grandmother wouldn't recognize them as mm-hmm. food, you mm-hmm. probably shouldn't eat them. <laughs> I just adopted my two nieces It's a terrible wonderful story mm. parents got their kids taken away and they ended up in foster care which was horrifying and we wrapped services around the mom and brought them down here and the first time i took them to the store i said good news and bad news i'm only going to buy you things that you love that love you back mm. so i'm going to teach you how to read the labels and we're not getting crap. And the first day was so hard for them. Mm. But now they proselytize. I'm so proud of them. You know, one went to school and saw a friend eating, I don't know, hot Cheetos, and she said, you know, you could be making better choices. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the Empower message repeatedly. Yes. It's love things that love you back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a bad relationship. I've certainly been in a bad relationship. I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. And I'm damn sure not gonna do it with food. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
2: So food is tricky. I think that we have to understand how our bodies work and how our brains work, how our everything about our immune system is affected by our digestive system and our digestive tract is you know, that this brain gut connection is so powerful. It's um, huge. And so for me it really meant just refusing to take on any projects that I don't believe are really helping people to live longer. So
0: maybe the choices people are making when it comes to the food that they eat was good for looking good in the bikini, but not necessarily good for the brain.
2: Or their body image. And, you know, even I've learned so much about exercise since starting this journey that exercising every day with the greatest intensity and never listening to my body, ignoring my body, but just going harder, harder, harder because I want better results, so I need to work out harder, was to ignore what my body needs and the rest that it requires. and
1: will burn out your adrenal glands. Exactly. And, and my
2: hormones. Your
1: hormones, and- which clearly affect your brain. You know, mm-hmm. I think of them as miracle grow. And I have a book I wrote, Change Your Brain, Change Your Body, where I talk about you know, why people are struggling with their weight is they're not all the same, like depression. Mm -hmm. They're impulsive overeaters who often have ADD. They're compulsive overeaters. They're sad and anxious overeaters. You need to know why and then target your diet and your supplements Mm -hmm. to your Mm -hmm. type. So I was on Rachel Ray, and Rachel took the test, and she was our compulsive overeater. And anybody who's that, who goes on the Atkins diet, They become mean. They lose weight, but they also get divorced. She said, I was so awful, Mm, I wondered why my husband didn't leave me. Because she needed natural serotonin, which you get from sweet potatoes and hummus and, you know, butternut squash and things like that. You also get it from bread, pasta, potatoes, rice, and cupcakes, which is why people have such trouble giving up those things. Because they actually work as an antidepressant. Now, and more but, but than that's cocaine. not It's that's feel better oh. fast now and not later yeah that's my new book coming out in november it's called feel better fast and make it last so what are the things i do that help me feel better fast now but hurt me later versus what can i do to feel better fast and make it last mm. also on
0: the to-do list obviously sleep Critical. But that's an easy one for me. Like I just, I yeah. love to sleep. Oh. Like I, I, go to bed. i and I, I'm eight hours minimum every night. Oh, that's so good. That's so that was blessing. never a challenge for me. But Some it, of this other stuff. 60 obviously, sixty million is,
1: Americans have trouble sleeping, hmm. often because of the bad habits. Mm-hmm. So you have to turn blue light blockers if you're going to be on your gadgets after seven. Um, blue light is so important to filter out of your life. And so if you're laying
0: in bed, checking Facebook as you're trying to fall asleep. That's not the best Okay. Thing. Gratitude. I put that on the to-do list based on what I've learned from you. Just talk about gratitude.
1: Well, so two things to do. Three things you're grateful for every day or write down what went well today it just directs your mind in a positive way and we've actually scanned people before and after thinking about things they're grateful for versus things they're fearful of the brain changes in a very bad way when you're thinking about fear it's really interesting changes over time or changes instantly immediately Immediately. really immediately But the one habit I want your listeners to do, and I do this every morning and it helps me so much, it's actually on the top of my to-do list, is when your feet hit the floor in the morning, say to yourself, today is going to be a great day. Mm -hmm. Because then your brain will find why it's going to be a great day.
0: Notice I put the, see I've written that down. That was the last thing I was going to ask you. I took, I I can come up with another ending here. (laughs) Also on the to-do list, uh, volunteerism.
1: Yeah, which is connecting yourself. Brand new study just out. I love this study. They found when you hold someone's hand, your brainwave pattern actually begins to synchronize. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very careful who you hold their hand. (laughs) But they also found that for women who are in pain, when their partner held their hand, it decreased Mm -hmm. their level of pain. I mean, how simple is that? In in the yeah. book, we actually have, well, how long will this take? And that'll take like a minute, wow. Mm. right? Wow. It doesn't uh, have to take long. Group, and, group work. Well, it depends on the group, <laughs> right? It absolutely depends on the group. Here's another uh, quick hint. The fastest way to get, well, is to find the healthiest person you can stand and spend <laughs> as much time around him or her. As possible. That's mm. the because people are contagious. I mean, mm-hmm. just holding someone's hand, your brain waves begin to pick up his brain waves or her brain waves. Mm. Um, people are contagious. Yes, are. But what I found is people get better together or they get sick together. together. Mm-hmm. James is one of our great examples. James, our sound guy, who's here when he first came to work with us. He wasn't healthy. But, you know, after listening to Tan and I over and over and over, he's dropped. How many pounds have you dropped? Uh, a little
2: over 100 pounds. What? A over wow. 100 pounds. You didn't used to sit like that.
1: <laughs> You've
0: lost wow. over 100 pounds. Yeah. Wow.
1: Congratulations.
0: That's that's powerful
1: and that's the side effect of just really getting wow
0: maybe we should have ended with the to-do list but the the avoid list too much Mm -hmm. tv obviously too much tv
1: so because it's a mindless activity golden girls isn't on that list though Mm -hmm. right i can still watch golden girls every day yeah if you you. watch an hour of television a day that's Mm -hmm. fine if you're watching six that's a problem
2: but Mm -hmm. is tv also social media i mean because videos now we're watching on our phones
1: right Right. And the problem with them is they are really no brain activities. Okay. They're giving you everything. Mm-hmm. They're putting your brain in idle, where the brain actually is like a muscle, and the more you use it, the more you can use it. Okay. What about like,
2: documentaries?
1: Well, if they really engage your mind, okay. as opposed to just pouring things in. Yes. Not that helpful. Okay, okay now here's
0: one that kind of surprised me. Uh, multitasking. Mm-hmm. You...
1: Yeah, it's too much stress
0: okay. for your brain. See, I pride myself in being a multitasker.
2: I used to, but I've learned. I, I despise multitasking now. So I just, I just have
0: a hard time picturing you not multitasking. So what did you change? What was the routine?
2: I just knowing that I wanted to do things well. Okay. And that I, in order to be productive, I need to stop multitasking. Because it was stressful to start and stop you're never doing two things at once you're starting and stopping constantly and so, constantly so Which it's means you're actually math.
1: less effective and uh, if you do one less thing at a time. and
2: less I just i couldn't be as good at and
1: this. more stressed and more frazzled and so if you think your computer's up and your emails up so you get a notice your phone buzzes and you're in the middle of trying to accomplish something yeah. you've just been Distracted, and it's the constant distractions, which is why our I attention use that lady so right early. there to
2: help keep me accountable. So my assistant Kristen, she helps to keep me accountable because it is my default to want to add more things, but then mm. just to remember, like, okay, don't tell me about that thing until I'm done with this. So I eat all my peas before I move on to the mashed potatoes, kind Got of it. thing.
1: So, you know? so well, and it's so a we need a to... brilliant strategy for for adults that have ADD because a lot of CEOs have ADD. Hmm. A lot of entrepreneurs have ADD, and if they hire an assistant who has ADD, it's trouble. Oh yeah, that would not work. It's not. Do we need to scan Kristen's brain? (laughs)
2: No, she does not have ADD. Trust me.
1: (laughs) Interesting.
2: Do you scan employees before you bring them on?
1: He, he told me when we first met,
0: he said, he he said uh, when your daughter starts a date, bring the boyfriend in for a brain scan before the second date.
1: Oh, that's absolutely true. Oh, oh I'm, I'm okay with that. Maybe not the second date, because Caitlin, my She's third out. one, she had guys that, you know, they'd last four days. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, the rule is if you last four months, then I go, hey, you haven't seen the clinic. Don't you want to see the clinic? <laughs> and when I met Tana... Scanned her in two and a half weeks because I really liked her and I didn't really. <laughs> Did she want to scan like her. you in some way? I'm sure. Well, I showed her my scan. I'll okay. show you hey. right. okay. Mine. If you, you show me yours, there you <laughs> go. Wow.
0: You know, it's decisions that we made, and, and I. But we had made a decision that we're not going to let our daughter play soccer. We're not going to let her play any kind of a sport where there is a risk of head getting injury. hit in the head mm-hmm. with anything. You know, and I know. When you know, I started
1: these- the NFL study, the <laughs> was it 2008. I had so many people laugh at me, threaten to sue me, you know, soccer coaches. Mm. And I'm like, brain is soft, skull is hard, skull has sharp, bony ridges. Why would you ever do that? Mm. Mm -hmm. And dancing is great. Tennis is great. Golf is great. Table tennis is great. There's so many great sports. A lot of track is brain safe. Why would you Mm. put her at risk? It's just not smart
0: mm-hmm. um violent video games i mean again that's mm-hmm. an obvious one too but we should it talk about it It that's decreases
1: empathy it decreases empathy for other people you know it's you, a common theme
2: in all these shootings
1: it's a common thing and there are a lot of people who play violent video games who never do anything bad sure. but if you take a vulnerable brain mm-hmm. and obviously nicholas cruz the parkland florida and Florida shooter Mm -hmm. had a vulnerable Mm -hmm. brain, and then you pour toxins in it, violent videos, you're more likely to get a bad result.
0: I can't believe we have to start to wrap this up. There's a couple of things I really want to ask you about is uh, how to create a a brain-smart culture Mm. at home and at work. So one
1: simple thing to do at work is you just refuse to spend money on food that will hurt people. It's we're not buying sodas, uh, and if we have happy hour, we don't buy alcohol because that doesn't make you happy. It increases your risk of cancer. Right. So, right. Um, so doing that brain health education like brain thrive by twenty five for the students, they will then begin to put a little bit of peer pressure on their fellow students. Mm-hmm. You know is. You could be making better choices, mm. so what my niece said. So education, and if you just did that one thing, we're not going to spend money on food that will hurt mm. our customers or our students or our employees. It begins to revolutionize culture. Mm. And at home, a culture at home. Well, and when you live, I mean, the most important thing you can do is live the message. Right. Because if you don't live the message, you suck as a messenger. I mean, that's just really clear to me. And it's you live the message, and then people will want what you have. And then they'll listen um, because so many people are suffering. And, you know, I, I'll close with this story. It's one of my favorite stories. When I told you about my dad, and he was difficult and difficult. He's self-made and chairman of the board of a $4 billion company, and he was very hard, and he always said no. And um, when I decided to get really healthy, he's like, oh, great. You're a nut doctor, and now you're a health nut. What's with you and the nuts? Uh And so he wouldn't listen to me. I can't give up bread. I can't give up sweets. Leave me alone. I'm old. And when he was 85, he had mold in his house, and he developed a chronic cough and then a heart arrhythmia, and then heart failure. Mm -hmm. And I've never once in my life seen my dad depressed, Mm -hmm. and he's now depressed. Mm -hmm. And he cries, and he's not going to work. And one day he looked at me and he said, Danny, I'm sick of being sick. Mm -hmm. What do you want me to do? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all of it. And he's so stubborn. He did all of it. And my siblings, I have six siblings, they're like, oh, you don't have to be as serious as him. Here, you can do this. I mean, they're like actively sabotaging Mm. him and just infuriating me. But he's so stubborn. He's like, you could be making better choices. You should listen to your brother. He's really smart. Mm. (laughs) Wow. And it's at that moment I became more elevated, which is always cool. But... (laughs) We started working out together and it's literally three pounds. And then two weeks later it's six. And then it's twelve. No. And one Sunday not too long ago, we listed twenty one hundred pounds during our workout. Mm-hmm. He's strong, he's gonna be eighty nine, he wow. lost forty pounds. I mean, did, he drives to work every day, he drives he has a house in the desert, he goes there every My week. My
2: grandma's single, is he available?
1: He's not single.
2: No. Oh, okay.
1: But uh, he's he's <laughs> phenomenal. Oh. And and he's a warrior. Now, why is he a warrior? Because I was a warrior.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: See, if I hadn't lived it, right. I wouldn't have been the person. Right. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And he would have probably died. And that mm-hmm. would have broken my heart. Mm. Oh, my gosh. This is
0: powerful stuff.
2: <laughs> it's a legacy.
0: Celine, you have a final message?
2: I think... What's important for people to take away is something you mentioned, is that not everyone's going to get a brain spec. But even if you do, no matter what your result is, unless you're a complacent person who doesn't want to be better, you're going to want to improve no matter what. So imagine that you your scan isn't gonna just assume your scan isn't gonna be that great. Just start doing these things. Just start living accordingly and you'll feel the difference. You you will immediately live a better life. And when you live a better life, it affects
1: legacy, everybody around you. Mm. Dr. Amen, a final message? Well, I love that we did this with Shailene. Um, (laughs) Because it's really, it's the message of my life. You're not stuck with the brain you have. Mm. You can make it better. Mm. And with a better brain always comes Mm. a better life. Mm.
0: Thank you for this. And I, you know, have personal stories to share with you and the the gratitude that I have. Mm. So, good stuff thank thanks you. everyone
2: thank you